Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're excited to have Lindsay Neural, a digital marketer, a homeschool parent, and the author of Homeschool Hacks, How to Give Your Kid a Great Education Without Losing Your Job or Your Mind. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to Anchored at cltexam.com. Registration is open for the August 21st CLT. The CLT is a remotely proctored alternative to the SAT and ACT. You can take the CLT from anywhere in the world and from the comfort of your own home. And for students applying to Belmont Abbey College, you can take the August 21st CLT for free. To learn more, visit our website at cltexam.com. This is also a reminder that the CLT 10 will no longer be free starting August 1st, so be sure to register for the free CLT 10 while you can. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. All right, welcome back to the CLT Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Uh, today, we have a very exciting guest. Uh, Lindsay Neural is a homeschool parent and also the author of the new book, uh, Homeschool Hacks. And we also uh, have special co-host Aruba Asim, who is a producer now of the CLT Anchored Podcast as well. Uh, Lindsay, Aruba, thanks both for being here. Thank you. So, Lindsay, uh, I got to connect with you just just very recently and meet you. And I'd seen you in your 20,000 Twitter following for some time before actually connecting with you. You have an amazing, amazing kind of personal journey uh, and and story. I'd love to start off with that if we could. Sure. So my story, uh, professionally, personally, um, I am a Nebraska mom of six kids. We've always homeschooled. I run a business with my husband um, and we keep things pretty low key. I think everything I, I, I just my journey is very low key and trying to make kind of the best of every little opportunity uh, that comes our way. And I, I, I love to learn as a grown up and I have this kind of renewed passion for learning things. Uh, and it's translated very well into just running a business and having a homeschool. That's fantastic. Uh, and the book that is the buzz uh, in the homeschool world right now, Homeschool Hacks, this is your your new release. Um, and you release this as pretty timely release as well. There's this huge influx uh, of American parents and students into the homeschool arena uh, due to, to COVID. And uh, was that kind of what prompted you to write this? Well, actually, um, I had this proposal set to go seven years ago, um, and I was invited to pitch it um, to some agents. Long ago, it had a little bit different focus. It was actually more of a faith-focused um, education book, and it got so many no's. <laughs> and like most writers, you cry and you put it in a drawer and you try something new. Uh, so when COVID came and people were asking me the same questions. And I thought, okay, I can get on Facebook and copy paste all these answers, or maybe we can kind of cobble them together in kind of an updated version of what I tried to do seven years ago. Um, and so it was, you know, pitch to agent within a couple of days. And then we had a sale to Tiller from Simon and Schuster um, within a couple of months. And it was 
two months to be fully written and then a couple months to be, it was just such a whirlwind, crazy thing. Um, it just seemed like it needed to happen. So. Uh, so I really wanted to, like, I read your um, book and I really wanted to ask you what really got you interested in homeschooling or what was like the final straw where you were like, okay, like now I would like to homeschool my children. What led you to that decision? Um, you know, and brought you on that journey? Well, my children have never been in a traditional school system. So we've always homeschooled um, and we were moving a lot. And I just had this feeling of dissatisfaction. So when people say, oh, were you led to homeschool? Did you feel called to homeschool? I was more like a little hesitant to do what I did as a child with my education. I felt a lot of unrealized potential. I felt like as a 40-year-old now, um, I could see things about my childhood where these little sparks, if someone had seen them and taken advantage of them and kind of helped direct me, could have been something more. Um, And I don't have regrets, but I thought, wow, if I'm with my children all day and I can see these little sparks, what could we do? Um, And so that kind of is, it's not so much a dissatisfaction in structure or the bureaucracy or the politics or some of these things um, that we're hearing now, it was more just what could be like the potential. Um, And that seemed like homeschooling really fit that. Great. Um, A lot of parents right now thinking about this for the first time, I think even some parents who thought they would never consider homeschooling are now like, you know what, like, you know, maybe in the 80s, homeschools really were like the weird family, they they all wore denim and, and they were just like the one weird family in the neighborhood. But it's not like that anymore. Something's really changed in a pretty seismic way. What is your advice to parents who are just kind of thinking about this for the first time? Well, you know, my advice would be to find somebody who has a similar lifestyle and or value set that you do, uh, because everybody from every walk of life, there's like a representative for everybody out there walking around um, doing homeschool. And so I think sometimes we pick the person who maybe has the largest platform or um, knows a friend that knows a friend or seems like the authority and they don't have your same faith or they don't have your same educational mission. And they all are well-meaning. I'm well-meaning, but my my lifestyle will not work for someone who doesn't work full-time, who doesn't have a you know, a thousand chickens. There are things we do that work just for us. And while you're not going to find like your identical twin in the homeschool world, think about people, you know, where you're agreeing on a lot of things or you all like to sleep in till 10 o'clock, or you're a little more relaxed on the movies your kids watch or the books they read or find people that have similar, you know, values and see kind of what they're doing before you ever pick a curriculum, before you ever, you know, spend a penny on the the homeschool like marketplace that's kind of exploding right now. Hmm. So Lindsay, and connected with a lot of amazing homeschool groups. Uh, so CLT, our board of academic advisors here, we have Rob Bortons, who is the CEO of Classical Conversations. We're good friends with the folks at Colby and Mother Divine Grace, a lot of amazing groups out there. Uh, but I also connect with a lot of homeschool parents, uh, and they're not part of any kind of an association or group. Um, what would be your advice there if, if, as new parents are kind of thinking, do I do, I do this as part of a, a membership and association, or do I just kind of go unschooling and do things, you know, on a little bit more organically? I would say there's a way to do kind of both. 
Um, things that require a lot of time, attention, and energy would be like your co-ops. Um, some of these more formalized programs, those can be a little intimidating kind of coming out of the gate. But if your church has like a support group or even something as casual as like the Tuesday Moms Coffee, you know, that your group is doing, you can get connected with a homeschool group and not do all the things. And that's kind of kind of hard to balance when you first start out, but, you know, kind of get your toe in the water there, use them as you need them, but don't feel like everything they offer is something you have to do. It's not an all or nothing. It's like a, like a church or a, a village group or anything else. You really can pace yourself um, and take that breathing space, but also go to them when you need them, because that's why they're there. Well, Lindsay, I'm really interested in hearing about how homeschooling impacts your relationship with your kids. Um, When I was reading your book, you talked about how your business has really helped you, you know, um, kind of focus on your kids learning by taking them to all these different events and places that, you know, they could learn from as well. And you can also like perform the daily business stuff that you need to. So I'm really interested in hearing how has that impacted your relationship with your kids? Well, I don't know what other people think of their children. I adore my kids. I don't know if it's homeschooling, but I do know I wouldn't know the things I know about them if I was, wasn't with them. Um, they have independence. It's not mom sitting by their side. They have a lot of independence. But the best part about homeschooling isn't that we sit side by side and they do math and we have this special magical moment. Math is actually very stressful in our house, much like a lot of homeschoolers. Um, and there's kind of contention and, and strain. It's the, the fact that we've built trust um, that my child feels like, okay, this person is leading my education, leading my ability to um, go down this path of whatever. And there's this trust there. Um, we have rules in our house. We don't lie. Um, no one is allowed to bully or belittle anyone else in the family. Very serious rules. But other than that, it's fun. And so I think that, you know, when my kids come at 11 o'clock at night and they should be in bed and they're laughing over a TikTok and they want to show it to me. And I think that's cool that they want to show their 43-year-old mom this TikTok and I don't understand it, but I'm going to try. Um, That's a relationship that I don't know every parent has with their child. And I don't think it could happen if it weren't for homeschooling. And you're a mother of six as well. What has that been like just with like the, the differences in ages? You know, we, we recently transitioned, actually, we were homeschooling last year and then we took uh, our half of our kids were in homeschool. And then my wife is due in September and, and, and it was too much with, with babies to just do another year in a row. We may circle back and homeschool later, but if, if you've got a couple of toddlers, uh, is it even possible, especially for you running a business on top of that? Uh, how do you navigate that dynamic? Well, what's interesting is, you know, you have children, so you know the type of attention and the kind of attention that they need when they're younger. But ironically, they don't need a lot of formal education at that age. So there's a trade-off. Um, the kids that need to learn the Latin, the math, the things that are a little more uh, rigorous also don't need you to change their diaper. So they should be contributing. Um, They should be doing chores. They should be um, helping with the siblings. There's this trade-off. And so in our house, the understanding is great. I will pay for your speech and debate. I will take you to regionals. Um, I will be fully committed to this. 
but then you need to give an equal contribution back to the family um, because we're investing in you. And that's the way families work. We have to have um, kind of this, this energy and commitment like shared, or it just doesn't work. We can't give all of our commitment to one child or, or one person yeah. um, because there's too many people and not enough day. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to backtrack a little bit and talk about your early education. You um, you mentioned that, you know, there was a lot of untapped potential that you thought people weren't um, really looking into. So uh, what was your educational journey like? And then how did you specifically encounter classical education and homeschooling and decide like this is it? Like this is the route that, you know, a lot of people should be taking. Sure. So um, first one to say, my teachers were all lovely, lovely people. Um, amazing. My school memories are like a lot of memories, cold milk in the afternoon and naps and, you know, the things that um, they had going on in the 80s and the 90s. So lovely memories. But uh, I was reading by age two, self-taught, kind of a weird little kid, um, spoke out of turn often, was a lot of times getting written up for just saying bizarre and appropriate things. And it was because I was so curious and my parents, you know, they tried to do what they could do with this weird kid. Um, And my teachers, you know, they would give me more books to read and send me to the back of the class because I was already done with my work. Uh, But there were just only so many things you could do. You know, we didn't have the internet. It was a rural school, the only school in the area. So we had no um, private schools. There were no, what we had was what we had. And so while everyone was well-meaning and I believe they had my best interest in mind, there were other children to teach. And so I really found myself reading everything I could get a hold of, some of it not so great. Um, And kind of getting in some trouble as far as just being bored. Uh, So I thought, well, if we keep the kids active and engaged, um, we can keep them out of trouble. And one of the things that I I stumbled upon was some of the classic education books, you know, of the canon. I'm thinking if my kid has to read Dante's Inferno, it's going to keep them busy for a really long time. (laughs) And I found they were loving it. They were loving it. Um, It was stretching them in ways that I feel like if I had been able to be stretched, I could have stayed out of trouble. So it was really just to kind of like keep them busy, um, keep them putting good things into their brains. And it sparked this thing where my daughter going into college, not having really known what we were doing, the professors were saying things like, you've read this, you know, it, it, it was like this light went on and I thought, we did something right, even with all this like stumbling and making it up as we went along. So with the older ones, when the the classic education part of their homeschool gave such great return, I said, we're going to be a little more intentional and do this with the younger ones and kind of, kind of think through what we're going to do. Yeah. I love that part about your your kids loving it so much. And I, I still feel really new as I think most people do in the classical education world to classical and you know, I kind of started six or seven years ago just reading Aesop's Fables to my kiddos, but we made a transition from that, from you know, the the more contemporary stuff. And you know, kids are the very best literary critics that there are. Like they didn't want to read the new stuff anymore. They want to read about the tortoise and the hare, you know. Um, the, those books, those stories are timeless for a reason. Like it was every generation uh, said, you know, this is a story worthy of passing down to the next generation. Um, do you feel like, you know, when I spent eight years in a public school setting, I felt like complacency was almost an epidemic. Kids were just bored, you know. Um, 
do you think that that kind of boredom uh, epidemic is is partly because we've removed the classics, we've removed substance and depth from kind of mainstream K-12 education? I think that can be part of it, but I don't know that you can just plug it back in uh, and think that's going to fix it. If you take a a current kid today and you hand them um, Shakespeare, they're going to hate it just as much as my son hates it, but for different reasons. My son says, um, this is a uh, this is a this is a screenplay, mom. This is a movie. We're reading a movie, and they're expecting us to treat it like a story. So his understanding of the context is important. Um, my coach, basketball coach, was the one who taught Shakespeare in my school, and I don't think he loved it. So you need to find teachers that love it just as much as your child could potentially love it and teach within context. So it's not enough to just go, okay, today's reading is this hand a kid, a classic and expect them to know what to do with it. I think that's asking a lot and it's not really fair um, because there's a whole world, as you know, around the classics, the culture, the context that you don't get. And so it feels really disconnected for a reason. Hmm. You know, some ideas I never heard about really until getting into the classical education world. And this is, you know, I spent four years majoring in education. I spent eight years teaching in public school. I never heard people talking about things like wisdom and beauty and truth and goodness. Um, how have those distinctives in particular just shaped what you did with your own kiddos? Well, it's definitely there. And what, what surprised me is, you know, we're a family that values our faith and our connection with our creator. Um, We do try to do formal Bible study within the week, but I found my children were getting more from reading the classics. Um, They were finding things there that we didn't know were there. So they would read something, they would see the parallels, and it was very obvious that this writer was inspired um, by things they had read prior to them. Um, and, and it just was this cyclical, like you said, truth and beauty. Um, it, it's in the fiber of the books, even the books where the authors were horrible. Um, you know, my children have to read <laughs> yeah. Mein Kampf as part of their education oh, wow. and the stark <laughs> contrast just mm-hmm. makes the light even lighter. Um, mm-hmm. so it's not just reading good, pure books with good, pure ideas. It, it's about seeing the world in context and giving the kid everything so they can very, um, you know, see the stark actual beauty and truth and goodness um, in, in a framework that they can apply in their lives today. And it's amazing how an old dusty book, my kids yeah. go, that's really funny. There are people that are doing that today. And I said, yeah, people haven't really changed. Um, it's just how we express ourselves or um, it, it's been a learning experience for me because I had no idea it could be so relevant. Well, well, you know, what, one of the teaching memories that I will never forget is that, you know, even the kid who is the most checked out, um, who is just always bored, when you'd start teaching World War II, Hitler, the Holocaust, that kid is super dialed in all of a sudden. And it, and it was weird. And I've, I've reflected on this over the years. And I think it's because we have this natural hunger. We want to know about the nature of good and evil. We want to know about the human capacity for both good and for bad. Um, and then if you remove that, education becomes really kind of empty and and, uh, and just boring. Yeah. I, when, you know, I was in college and I didn't finish my degree, but I took an honors level literature of the Holocaust course because it was oh. that or pottery and I'm not artistic. <laughs> and so the 
few of us that chose literature of the Holocaust were pretty depressed by the end of that interim. But what I remembered feeling more than um, just the heaviness of the class was the anger that I felt that the Holocaust was reduced to like two paragraphs in my high school textbook. And I thought, well, they have so much to teach, right? You have to cover everything. But I felt like I would have rather not covered it at all than have just glossed over it with the, okay, we got to get the checklist and tell the kids that this happened, but not hearing any of the stories. And it, it, it ripped my heart out because I thought this is so important. It deserves If you can't cover everything, don't, but at least what you do cover, cover well. And that's where I think a lot of the great books can come into play there. That's great. Yeah. And um, you talked a little bit about intentionality and how homeschooling really helps you with that. I also wanted to ask you, how do you think technology and the internet has helped you with that, with your content writing, with your business? Um, You know, as a TLT, we believe um, we're taking a, like the classics, but we're combining them with technology and it's like the old with the new. Uh, So how do you think that plays into homeschooling, especially in today's world? And how do you think it makes it so much easier for parents as well? Well, it's amazing. And I'll be honest, we wouldn't have done any of this without technology. Some of the online courses, um, you know, even if you can't afford something and you just want to sign up for like one of the Hillsdale um, free online great courses there, um, there are things through through documentaries digital has really taken it and made it accessible. Um, We've started to pay a little bit more money for courses now because my children are curious, but I can't teach these things. I don't, I'm not passionate about certain books or haven't even read them. Let the people who love them teach them and connections through internet is how that's going to happen. And then of course, you know, my business is almost 90% online. So I wouldn't have even the opportunity to be home with my kids or in a plane with my kids or in the van with my kids going to work and teaching at the same time, if it wasn't for the connectedness um, through the internet. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. um, I definitely honestly think that even me, like I'm in university right now and I do almost everything online. Like I work from home. I'm, I study from home and it honestly, like it makes everything so much easier, but the accessibility and the intentionality that comes with that, I think is the best thing. Um, yeah. And then while we're on the topic of books, we always ask this question on the anchor podcast. Um, but what is one text that has influenced you, um, in your life, you know, and if you were to give a suggestion for one book, what would it be? So when I was in the sixth grade, I had a teacher who was not particularly sweet, um, but she read to us, she made us put our heads down on our desks after lunch and in the sixth grade, which I can't imagine happening now. And we had to listen to whatever she read. And she read us the Martian Chronicles um, by Bradbury. And I remember thinking, this can't be, this person is like writing my heart, my soul and how I feel about the world at six in the sixth grade. And so um, I went on to read more and his illustrated man books. Um, there's a short story in there. Uh, the rocket man uh, about a boy who loses his father when he goes into the sun. And there's just a very short moment in that story where the, the father's basically like, I'm not going to leave you again. We're going to be together. And then the next day, boom, the dad's gone. And it's so jarring. Um, And I just remember thinking literature doesn't have to be kind and it doesn't have to be um, hopeful, but it can still be true. Um, And I think today in this world, people want 
truth. They want to, to hear things that aren't gaslighting and political and this, they, they want to hear truth. And so for me, um, the illustrated man, it's good and it's bad and it's scary. And it's like, look into the future and all the horrible things that can happen. I felt like somebody was telling me the truth. Um, so for me, that's a very important book just to, to not be coddled or treat, treated like a child. Um, I, I appreciate what he did in that collection. Uh, Lindsay, for our audience, uh, I know there's there's many listeners right now who are, are considering homeschooling. Um, how do they get a hold of Homeschool Hacks? Well, it's available widely at the Barnes & Noble, at christianbook.com, um, Amazon, Walmart, Target, mostly online. Um, I think with pandemic, that's kind of been the case, but you should be able to find it. And it's also on audio. So if you're a parent like me who does a lot of your uh, podcast listening and stuff while doing other things, that's an option as well. That's great. And is the audio, is that you reading it or is there a reader for that? No, I, I got, I had the joy of picking a reader, which is a very surreal experience. Um, so I tried to find <laughs> the most realistic sounding human I could find. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great criteria. It's fantastic. Again, we're here. This is the Anchor Podcast. We are here with Lindsay Neural, uh, author of Homeschool Hacks. Uh, and Lindsay, you also have, again, quite a, a vibrant Twitter following. Uh, what is your handle so people can follow you if they're on Twitter? Sure. It's at L, my first initial last name, Neural. So at L-K-N-E-R-L. And I love talking to people on Twitter. So if you find me on there, um, we can chat. That's great. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.